Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The big game is here, and that means it's time for one of our favorite traditions here on the Take It Easy podcast, which color of Gatorade is going to dunk the winning head coach. There's a whole lore behind this prop bet. Last year, Blue was a huge underdog, and it cashed plus 500. Two of the last three years have been Blue, and Blue has only been the color of Gatorade one other year. Orange is the favorite once again at plus 200. Orange has gotten it three of the last nine years. Orange also went back-to-back with the Saints and the Packers championships between 2010 and 2011, followed by no color, which would be water, Blue at plus 400, yellow, lime, and green are slight underdogs at plus 600, red and pink are both plus 750. Red has never been used, probably because red stains your clothes more than the other colors. I think this is red's year. I'm putting in a plus 750 prop on red. This is finally the year. First time ever that red gets the Gatorade bath. Head over to Bet Online today and use our promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, for a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is February 9th, according to my count. May not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. What does the NBA have to do to make me forget about Super Bowl week, have a shit ton of fun trades, and have rumors about James Harden leaving the Brooklyn Nets for the Philadelphia 76ers, like we talked about over on the Memes of the Weekend podcast. That's going to be the A block in Super Bowl week, but if you want all of the Super Bowl content here on a you know moderately interesting Super Bowl week, it's hard to spend five days previewing a Chiefs-Bucks Super Bowl with all the storylines that has. A Bengals-Rams one is, is harder to, but we have our gambling preview this week, with Razor Rosenthal. It's coming up later on in the episode. You can skip to it now if you just want to talk gambling, but we're going to talk about the NBA first and foremost here on this A Block because shout out to the hometown Sacramento Kings, the adopted hometown team of yours truly. They play about 15 minutes north of, well, no, they play 15 minutes east of where I am. East of where I am is the Sacramento Kings. I have biked to that stadium before, and I have gone to many a Kings games. We did. We took over Kings opening night in downtown Sacramento. Downtown Sacramento is such an awesome place. Shout out to that. Sacramento Kings made the once every two year move. What is the once every two year move? We'll get to that here in our A block. So for context, 
When talking about jobs and careers, especially creative careers that are kind of dependent on, you know, if you're a general manager, a big opportunity, uh, if you're a musician, if you are a creative like in the podcast industry, but really any job where there is a chance for upward mobility and success based on results, which is most jobs, the day-to-day work is something everyone has to do in every job that they do. It might not lead to immediate change in the short term, but day-to-day there are minute details that we all have to take care of in our job. We don't like doing the day-to-day activities. We don't like filing paperwork. We don't like doing the editing for this podcast. I hate doing editing on YouTube. It's why we haven't adopted YouTube content yet. It's because I simply don't have the time to do YouTube editing. All the day-to-day monotonous work That's the things that we have to do, and that's the things we get paid for. Ray Lewis had the great quote when he was playing in the NFL that you got paid, or I'm sorry, you paid him for his work Monday through Saturday. Sundays you got for free. And that's kind of the same idea is that often we have to do monotonous day-to-day work to advance in any industry that we're working in, and we usually get paid for the monotonous day-to-day work. In order to do the work that is really not that fun, we get compensated for it. Sometimes a lot, sometimes not enough. But we get compensated for the minute work that we do. And when we love the job that we do, it we always say like we would do it for free. Like what we've been doing with this podcast for three years, which is essentially doing it for free. I can't make a living doing this podcast. I just make small supplemental income. By the way, this month, check out our wonderful sponsors. We have three of them. So this is a good month to have downloads. While you're listening to this, download to as many episodes as you can. 500 if you want. We got 600 in the archives. Download all 600 if you can. It's all much appreciated for helping support these dreams. The idea is we go through the minute day-to-day work so that we can put ourselves in an opportunity when that opportunity presents itself. And when it comes to roster construction in the NBA, ultimately there's like once every two years where you have a what we like to call M&M style, one shot, do not miss your chance to blow. You get an opportunity to capitalize on a window, whether it's uh, in the case of what the Kings did today, having the chance to acquire Demontis Sabonis, or in the case of the Portland Trailblazers back in 2019, the year that they made the conference championship, a chance to acquire Anthony Davis, or it can be within our industry. I know for myself, when we were running comical sports memes, Uh, Rest in peace, comical sports memes, by the way. I had a chance to acquire an account with 120,000 followers and another one with 60,000 followers. It would have cost a lot of money, but it would have created a massive opportunity to continue growing the platform that we had and make it somewhat closer to earning a modest living. And I missed that opportunity because I didn't follow through on it. I had the opportunity, did not capitalize on it. And, you know, two years later, we're out of the Instagram content game altogether as if we got fired. But that's a failure and a learning experience. The Portland Trailblazers trading CJ McCollum to the New Orleans Pelicans today is the most poetic justice I can think of when it comes to missing your opportunity. Because back in 2019, when Anthony Davis demanded a trade out of New Orleans and everyone was saying, it's going to be the Lakers and Anthony Davis didn't have a no trade clause protection, but everyone said, it's going to be the Lakers. That's the team that's going to get Anthony Davis. And the Lakers tried to acquire him. They couldn't acquire him. And so the trade deadline passed 
and Anthony Davis got traded in the summer of 2019 to the Lakers for Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart, who ironically got traded to the Blazers today, and uh, and Lonzo Ball and some other pieces mixed in with draft picks and all of that. And so the Portland Trailblazers at the time were the team I was advocating had to go all in on Anthony Davis. Trade C.J. McCollum. Trade, I believe at the time they had uh, Zach Collins still on the team. Trade him. Trade all of your draft compensation. Get Anthony Davis from the Pelicans. Even if Anthony Davis does not want to re-sign with the Portland Trailblazers, Anthony Davis will still give you two playoff runs as a second best player to Damian Lillard, good enough to where Damian Lillard can win a championship. That was the argument I was making, and the pushback was, if you lose Anthony Davis for nothing, then your run is over. And lo and behold, this is a classic thing we were talking about with the Rams last week when we did our story that uh, ran on Tuesday's episode. The market will blow you up if you aren't willing to blow up yourself. And the Portland Trailblazers are in the exact same position they would have been in now had they traded for Anthony Davis, which is C.J. McCollum, no longer on the team. Zach Collins, no longer on their team. Those draft picks they were going to trade for Anthony Davis, they traded two first-round picks for Robert Covington. The Portland Trailblazers walk away in the exact same situation, which is a whole lot of interchangeable pieces around Damian Lillard and fading from the playoff picture, where the only chance they have to get back to the place they were at in 2019 is by trading Damian Lillard. But the Portland Trailblazers aren't going to trade Damian Lillard at this point because the Portland Trailblazers, I would argue for a small market NBA franchise, which is really what we're talking about here today. Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento, Indiana, four of the smallest markets in the NBA. You could argue they're not even playing professional NBA basketball. They're almost in a second tier league compared to the 76ers, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Miami Heat, the Brooklyn Nets the Golden State Warriors, they are in a, essentially second tier because not only do they not have a star player other than the Portland Trailblazers, a path to acquire a star player, the Pelicans acquired Zion Williamson, which is their golden ticket, or uh, you know the market to lure a top-level free agent, i.e. the Indiana Pacers. LeBron James ain't signing with no Indiana Pacers. Giannis ain't signing with no Indiana Pacers. So with no real path to acquire a generational talent, obviously New Orleans might have a generational talent in Zion Williamson, teams have to operate within the windows that they're working with. Portland missed their opportunity. Portland, I, I've, I was right before that they absolutely should have acquired Anthony Davis because say Anthony Davis leaves in free agency, you're left with a team built on Damian Lillard, Eric Bledsoe, Josh Hart, interchangeable pieces all around Damian Lillard. And, you know, they sold off just to try and clear some cap space if you're the Portland Trailblazers. They did everything they could to get themselves out of salary cap hell by trading $100 million of Damian L- of C.J. McCollum's contract and another $70 million of Norman Powell's contract, which they probably shouldn't have signed in the offseason anyways. The point to all of this is the Portland Trailblazers... If they got their M&M, one shot, do not miss your chance to blow, 
They missed their shot when they didn't get Anthony Davis in 2019. That was their golden opportunity. Anthony Davis didn't have a no-trade clause. They had the most competitive offer, non-Lakers category. They could have gotten Anthony Davis if they had been willing to blow themselves up and take two years of an all-in run. Maybe it doesn't win a championship, but with C.J. McCollum, the Portland Trailblazers got to the conference championship in 2019. C.J. McCollum had 35 points in the Game 7 against the Denver Nuggets in the second round that got them to the conference finals. So maybe they don't do any better with Anthony Davis than versus C.J. McCollum. They should have made that move, though, because Anthony Davis is unquestionably, unquestionably a better player than C.J. McCollum at any point in either of their careers. Anthony Davis is a better player than C.J. McCollum and they should have always gone for a trade for the better player and ma- and worry about the rest later. Which brings us to the Sacramento Kings. The Sacramento Kings traded Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald. I think also Tristan Thompson was in the trade, and he'll end up getting waived by the Pacers for salary cap reasons. But the essentially the trade was Jeremy Lamb and uh, Justin Holiday and Sabonis for... Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald. And if you want to say Justin Holiday and Jeremy Lamb are interchangeable pieces, which is totally fair, the trade essentially comes down to Demata Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald. And the Portland, uh, I'm sorry, not the Portland Trailblazers, it's the Sacramento Kings essentially made a move of, we're going to acquire a top 30 to 40 player in exchange for not a top 30 to 40 player. Now, you could argue Buddy Heald's close, and Tyrese Halliburton has the possibility of one day becoming a top 40-ish player, and that would be the day that this ends up looking worse for the Sacramento Kings because they gave that up. But the Sacramento Kings had their one shot, do not miss your chance to blow, today at this trade deadline. The, The thing that I have knocked the Sacramento Kings for, other than saying that they are always four games out of the playoffs with five to play... Their most recent indictment is that De'Aaron Fox needs to be your third best player in order to make the playoffs. And by the way, if you have a generational star like a Damian Lillard as your best player, maybe De'Aaron Fox as your third best player is good enough to compete for a championship. It's possible. De'Aaron Fox making $35 million a year as your best option makes you not a playoff team. You are one of because De'Aaron Fox as a number one is one of the worst number ones in the NBA. The only teams that are worse, for the most part, are teams that are actively tanking, teams actively trying to find good players at the top of the draft. Are the only teams you could argue worse than the Sacramento Kings if De'Aaron Fox is your number one. Demontis Sabonis is better than De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox might score more points, but Sabonis is a great defensive player who averages 20 points, 11 rebounds, made an all-star team in 2021. Sabonis is not a stud by any stretch of the imagination. Sabonis is better than Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton currently are. And you could argue that the trade-off between those two means it's less valuable for the Kings because they gave up two starters and the possibility of Halliburton becoming greater. I know we've talked to Gage Bridgeford about this, and I, I've, I've never seen it with Halliburton. I don't understand the hype of Tyrese Halliburton, um, but he's averaging 12 points a game this year. Some people argued he's a true point guard for the Kings. The Kings decided 
that with the assets that they had, they were going to get a player better than De'Aaron Fox on their team. It's not a significantly better player than De'Aaron Fox, but it's really impossible for the Sacramento Kings to get players better than De'Aaron Fox except through the NBA draft. And this is the part we can talk about with the Kings. The Kings failed so miserably in the 2010s. We've talked before about how the Sacramento Kings, in, a, in, an, in an NBA where over half the teams make the playoffs, and now 20 teams make the playoffs in the NBA, it is nearly impossible to go 16 years without making the playoffs. I cannot articulate just how unfathomable it is that the Kings have gone 16 years without making the playoffs. Minnesota's gone 18 years and only made one playoff appearance. This year's going to be two, but that's two in four years with a team that we regard as totally compromising all of the talent that comes through that organization, whether it's Wiggins, who as soon as he spends two years with the Warriors, starts to look like a number one pick in the draft, or Carl Anthony Towns, who we just regard as an empty stat guy, even though analytics people are saying he's the most physically gifted basketball player in the NBA. All of that squandered, but they've still made the playoffs twice in four years. Sacramento Kings haven't even had that. It's incredible how much they've squandered their ability between 2010 and 2019, whether it's the obvious ones, taking Jimmer Fredette one pick before Clay Thompson, taking Thomas Robinson one pick before Damian Lillard, uh, Marvin Bagley number two when Luka Doncic went three and Trey Young went number five. It's incredible how much they've squandered this, and even the one good thing they got, which was DeMarcus Cousins, perennial all-star, actively hated the organization that he played for, but was one of the 10 best players in the league at one point. Even DeMarcus Cousins ended up fetching them the essential trade of Buddy Heald for DeMarcus Cousins straight up. Like, after Omri Caspi leaves, and after, I don't remember, I think it was Garrett Temple maybe, leaves... Sacramento, you essentially got Buddy Heald for DeMarcus Cousins, the greatest thing your franchise has had in 20 years. And so for everything that they botched, and Vlade Divac getting the hell out of here, and getting a new stadium in Sacramento, and still being terrible, but still being profitable, and the fact that I could go to tomorrow's game against the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, and I could buy tickets for $6, $6 to go watch the Sacramento Kings play basketball. Despite all of that, they did maximize their window. And it's not a great window because the Sacramento Kings are not going to win anything. If Demodis Sabonis is your best player and De'Aaron Fox is your second best player, you are like the ninth seed in the East in the Western Conference. Maybe the tenth seed. It doesn't help you become better. But the alternative is similar to what the Chicago Bulls went through last year at the trade deadline when they gave up two first round picks for Vucevic, and then signed Lonzo Ball and signed uh, DeMar DeRozan, which is the alternative is to go to the bottom of the lottery again. And the Chicago Bulls spent four years there botching every pick and getting brutal luck in the draft lottery and, you know, drafting Kobe Whites and Wendell Carters, always having the sixth pick in the draft, none of them becoming generational talents. The Kings have been in that purgatory for years now where after they they botched the chance to totally turn their franchise around, they get Marvin Bagley in 2019 instead of Luka Doncic. That was the highest pick they were going to get in the draft lottery. They got the two pick. 
That was their losing a season to try and get a generational talent. They failed there, but they've had just enough talent to not be putrid. De'Aaron Fox is a great basketball player, picked fifth in the draft. Eventually, you're going to luck your way into some talent. You know, Eventually, the Suns are going to pick a Josh Jackson. You're going to get a De'Aaron Fox, and De'Aaron Fox is going to be a top 50 player in the NBA. Literally, every team in the NBA has a top 50 player, and the only ones who don't are actively losing games to try and get a top 50 player in the draft. Every team has one of those guys. Even the Sacramento Kings have one of those guys. And now they have two. And they did maximize their window, unlike what the Portland Trailblazers did in 2019. Now, everyone's window looks different. The Portland Trailblazers are starting with a greater foundation than the Sacramento Kings. Not just because the Sacramento Kings threw away all of their draft picks and threw away all of their potential for the past decade by having... Again, I, I may have this correct. I believe the all... Sacramento Kings picked one pick before you team includes, I know for certain, Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard, and Clay Thompson. They were all picked one pick after the Sacramento Kings pick. I know Jonathan Isaac is in here somewhere. Um, He was picked one pick after the Sacramento Kings went. Um, You might get a a Bam on a bio or a Devin Booker somewhere in there, I think. Um, it's really been a rough stretch for Sacramento over, uh, even Demontis Sabonis was picked three picks after the Sacramento Kings. So the point still stands on that one. Like Sacramento has been atrociously bad in the NBA draft over the past 10 years, and they've been an atrociously poorly run franchise. So they're starting with a smaller foundation than Portland, which is Portland won the lottery that every small market team wants. You draft a Hall of Fame basketball player, which means essentially one of the five to ten best players of his generation. You get one of the five to ten best players of their generation, and that player wants to stay with you for a decade or 15 years. That's the greatest gift a small market team can have. Not only do you get the superstar, you get the superstar who actively wants to play for your team. Sacramento got Damian Lillard, and they did not do enough around him to build a champion. Damian Lillard also isn't the caliber of player that can automatically take you to a championship with anyone on the floor. Damian Lillard can automatically get you to the playoffs just by virtue of his presence. He can get you to the second round if you just give him a second top 50 player in the league. But Damian Lillard can't quite get you over the hump. And you know what? For Portland, that's a pretty good starting point because you know who's right down the road in little old Sacramento, another really, really small market in the NBA? The Kings, who don't have Damian Lillard. They have De'Aaron Fox. And before that, they had Boogie Cousins. And that still wasn't good enough to get to the NBA playoffs. Sacramento is starting with less, but they made the right move today by getting Sabonis. And and results be damned. Like, this is more process over results situation. If Tyrese Halliburton ends up becoming an all-star, which I feel 85% confident he will never become an NBA all-star. Maybe this will come back to bite me years from now. 85% certain Tyrese Halliburton is never going to become an NBA All-Star. He was the 11th pick in the draft. He's averaging 11 points a game on his team. He's going to a team that's actively trying to tank. 
it feels like Halliburton, 85% sure, never going to be an all-star. If that 85% comes true, this is the right move for the Sacramento Kings, which is you got a top 40 player in the NBA in exchange for not a top 40 player in the NBA. Now, Buddy Heald is a top 60, 70 player in the NBA, no question. Right now, he is a slight upgrade compared to Sabonis. And if you want to nitpick that, I'll put Jeremy Lamb as one of the 100 best players in the NBA, which seems crazy, right? But no, Jeremy Lamb is very much good enough to start on any NBA team even the crappy one, or even the really good ones. Jeremy Lamb can start as a shooting guard, sit in the corner and shoot threes, even on the best teams in the NBA. And so I can push back on that, but essentially the Kings acquire a top 40 player in exchange for not a top 40 player. And for Indiana, the hope is that Tyrese Halliburton ends up becoming one day a top 40 player once they get to the top of the draft and acquire a a top 20 player. Sacramento is trying to maximize that window now and all credit to them because they were starting with such a bare asset cupboard. When you make the mistake of picking Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic, that is a move that sets your franchise back five to 10 years. And the supplemental moves after that of acquiring Harrison Barnes and spending $18 million a year on Corey Joseph and spending... $10 $10 million a year on Rashawn Holmes and $8 million a year on Tristan Thompson and all of the moves that Sacramento has made to total. and by the way, also having to give De'Aaron Fox $180 million as your de facto number one for the next four to five years as De'Aaron Fox goes from shooting 37% from three in 2020 to 27% from three in 2022. All of that sets you up to just not even be playing the same game actually combine it with being one of the smallest markets in the NBA with tickets that sell for $6. You're not even playing the same game as these other NBA teams are. But you know what? Sometimes neither is Portland. If not for Damian Lillard, neither would be Portland. If not for the possibility of Zion Williamson, the Pelicans are not playing the same game as everyone else. And if not for two years of Paul George in a magical run in the early 2010s, the Indiana Pacers aren't playing the same game as everyone else. Sacramento just happens to be starting with less, and you know what? All the credit to them for doing the right move in process versus results and going out and getting Demata Sabonis, who is better than De'Aaron Fox. It was a great move by the Sacramento Kings. It's not going to produce a championship, but that's not the expectations for the Sacramento Kings. The Kings spent two years litigiously making little moves to try and reset their roster and wait for that opportunity to come up when they could cash in that draft pick of Tyrese Halliburton, which usually goes to Georgios Papayanis or Marvin Bagley or whatever other crappy picks the Sacramento Kings throw away in the draft. They got Halliburton, with the 11 pick about 14 months ago, it, with the delayed draft, it was in November of 2020, and they flipped it into a top 40 player in the NBA who made an all-star in 2021. It's a pretty good move by the Sacramento Kings on that surface level. Process over results. The results may not lead to the Kings ever winning a playoff series or even making it out of the play-in round. I didn't think the Bulls would be better than a 7 seed, even by adding DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vukovic, and Lonzo Ball. 
They've proven me a little bit wrong this year, although I still think the Bulls are going to lose in the first round of the playoffs, depending on who they match up against, of course. I think the Bulls are still like the fifth best team in the East, but I thought they were going to be the seventh best team or the eighth best team in the East. All the credit to the Chicago Bulls for proving me slightly wrong this season. And all the credit to the Sacramento Kings for, even though they're not going to make any noise in the NBA, at least they might get one nationally televised playoff game. And they haven't had that in 20 goddamn years. Process over results. This was a good day for the Sacramento Kings, and it was an acknowledgement of missed opportunities past for the Portland Trailblazers. So with that being said, I'm done with my soapbox. Let's get to the NFL Super Bowl week with our buddy Razor Rosenthal. Did y'all know that the greatest quarterback of all time is not just a goat on the field. He's a goat when it comes to investing. He invests in stocks and crypto and even art with Masterworks. Masterworks is the investing platform that lets you buy shares in art from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol. And when that art sells, you get return on investments as high as 30%. If you want to get priority access with Masterworks today, go to masterworks.art slash believe. Masterworks.art slash believe to start investing in stocks and cryptocurrency and shares in artwork today. You can invest like the goat with Masterworks. See important disclosures at masterworks.com slash disclaimer. Tell me you haven't heard this before. You're sitting in your favorite restaurant, coffee shop. Maybe you're sitting in an airport because your flight's been delayed for an extra hour and a half. You want to use your phone and you want to use your computer, but you're afraid of that public Wi-Fi because you've heard all the stories. Maybe it's happened to you where your data gets hacked your information's out there on the dark web. It's it's scary. It happened to me uh, last year, actually. If you want to protect yourself nowadays, it's really important that you get security. And NordVPN has a deal for you today. If you go to nordvpn.com slash believe and use our code BLEAV, you can get 70% off a protection plan with NordVPN for two years with an additional month for free. With a 30-day money-back guaranteed, you are also risk-free if you don't want the service. Sign up today at nordvpn.com slash believe. Hello? Hey, Kyle. What's going on, man? What is going on, Razor? I'm doing fantastic here. I'm, I'm really glad to uh, be chatting with you again. Today's been uh, an interesting day so far, but... I'm doing fantastic. Good. Glad to hear that. Yeah. How's life been going? And all that beer live sports. So we've had a successful run here. And, you know, I assume we're going to wrap up the football season today on your podcast and talk about the game out West at SoFi Stadium. Yeah. I'd like to think at some point we'll talk about that. You know, it's kind of kind of a big deal this week. Um, how did the tennis end up finishing off for you? Because I know... Last week was, I think Monday, everyone was talking about the, the men's final, of course, being a big deal. But how about you from a gambling standpoint? How did the Australian Open pan out for you? Because it is your expertise. 
Yeah, Australian Open was great. We did lose the finals. Uh, Rafael Nadal broke our heart with an incredible, epic five-set victory over Daniel Medvedev, who was a you know pretty big favorite, Kyle. I mean, Daniel Medvedev, the number two player in the world, probably about 12, 13 years younger than Nadal, minus 200 closing line. I had Medvedev pre-flop at plus 250 to win the tournament. Uh, so not the best men's final that I wanted to uh, you know transpire. But overall, I think plus 12 units so yeah it depends how much you wager per unit you know everyone looks at a unit a lot differently than i do my units are typically you know i don't want to reveal that but i think the average better looks at one unit as 100 i'm a little bit ahead of that you know from a price point standpoint so you do the math on that and you have over 100 per unit and you're plus 12 you have to be happy with the result well i'm glad to hear that i'm glad that it turned out okay for you of course check out him and beer life sports and all that stuff there, especially college basketball season coming up. Cause as football season got pushed back, cause normally this would be the end of football season. Uh, if not for the extra week this year, but it was like a smaller window to get into college basketball this year. So I know we're going to do a bunch of that stuff coming up as we get to March. Um, I, I, we didn't talk last week, so I haven't actually asked about how, everything ended up playing out with the conference championship weekend from you watching those games play out. I know the, uh, the Rams game was probably the most fascinating for you from a gambling standpoint, but what'd you make of just how we get to where we are in the NFL at this point? Yeah. I, I got to give a lot of credit to Cincinnati who was pretty much dead to rights with about eight seconds left in the second quarter. But yeah, I mean, we, 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 we saw Patrick Mahomes, again, starting to run south, east, and west, and not north, just all over the place. That third quarter felt like the Super Bowl last year with Tampa Bay, where, where Patrick Mahomes was just not making sense, right? We, we had, what, no targets to Tyreek Hill in the third quarter, I think. We had uh, Kelsey Mahomes is running left and right. He throws a horrific interception to B.J. Hill really to start the third quarter. And that's where you, you have to sense the, the live action, Kyle. I think if you're an experienced gambler, momentum is, is right there in your face. So I hit Cincinnati, not on the money line live, but I was getting pretty good value when they were down 21-10. You could purchase Cincinnati at plus 7.5, plus 4.5. You just got to keep pounding those numbers. I never took Cincinnati on the money line, but I had them against the spread on several bets, pre-flop and live. So overall, it was a good AFC championship game for me. Definitely lost Kansas City on the money line, but we made up with it on Cincinnati ATS Live and pre-flop. Um, as far as the Rams-Niners game, almost a script, right? You know, right in that, in that number of three, three and a half, four, what we, what we expected, what Vegas expected, a low-scoring game. The one thing surprised me the most was that the Rams, I felt, dominated that first quarter and yet did not win the first half. And that was disappointing because, you know, I did play a Rams money line first half, but the bigger play ended up being Rams money line game. So from a betting perspective, Kyle, I was happy, probably came just a little bit ahead of schedule with the AFC and NFC title games. Uh, but I thought they were entertaining games. I mean, I think the whole playoffs has been tremendous. It seems like every game is is under a touchdown or less uh, for the most part. Well, when going back to the Bengals and Chiefs thing with the game being at where it was, did you think that you were getting good value on that because the Chiefs didn't capitalize at the end of the half? Like if the score had been, 
say even 14 points going into the second half, do you think you wouldn't have gotten the same confidence plays in the Bengals or seven and a half would have been about the same number? Why was it that the line wasn't moving in favor of Cincinnati? I think what happened was you, you look at the, not so much the missed opportunity in the second quarter, but the immediate interception. So when you live bet that and you see that, okay, Cincinnati's down by 11 and now Vegas has changed that line to seven and a half. I was pretty confident that Cincinnati was going to score. I mean, I felt really good about that. So I said, okay, this game is now going to come down to a field goal based on the momentum, based on the way Patrick Mahomes body language is something was wrong with him. I mean, he may have even been hurt for all we know. Obviously, he probably wasn't because he, you know, participated uh, yesterday in that epic Pro Bowl game where everybody really worked hard. But, you know, I, I, think I have the- no idea what happened, by the way. I didn't watch a single second of the Pro Bowl. The only thing I saw was that Mac Jones was warming up before the game and I got infuriated. I'm like, they had to have called like 10 people before they got to Mac Jones to play in the Pro Bowl. Uh, the, the Pro Bowl was as good as uh, a middle school game here uh, as far as the, 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 the effort and the, uh, <laughs> the skill levels that were displayed. Nobody tried. Well, uh, well, was, I, I've, I've had this thing for three years where I've said, you know, the Pro Bowl just sh- as a concept should not exist in the NFL because you can't make it entertaining. And the thing that's always been pushed back is like, what's the alternative? I'm like, no alternative. Just don't play the game. Just we're good. <laughs> we don't we don't need the Pro Bowl. It's a made for television thing. So they're still going to do it. But there's no reason. <laughs> Everyone is upset about it. Everyone's just there to collect some money. And I'm I'm cool not watching it. <laughs> well, the biggest storyline of the Pro Bowl was uh, Alvin Kamara uh, post game. You know that. Uh, yeah, that's going to be an interesting story for the next few days. Let's see what uh, unfolds there. Uh, yeah, going back to your original question, Kyle, I really didn't pull the trigger until the DJ Hill interception. When that transpired, then I started seeing numbers fly across the board on my websites, and I went ahead and pulled the trigger on. You know, I, you know, I think everybody, if you're betting. Um, the casual hobby, you know, probably stick to one website. But if you're someone who is trying to make some on the side and you take this serious, you can afford to bet and lose and win responsibly, you should be books, right? I'm not telling you to bet a ton of money on one book and, and a lighter money on the other. You just need to shop around. Let's see where we can get the value because some books live will have Cincinnati plus eight. Some will have seven and a half. Well, you bet you I'm going to go with the plus eight. I want that extra point, right? Because if they fail in a two-point conversion, that changes the whole dichotomy of what can transpire in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, I shopped around. I found some. I didn't find any eights, but I found some seven and a halves. I took those over the seven, and it worked out really well. So, again, going back to your question, I, I think that the first half, the end of the first half, changes the game. But when I felt that Cincinnati had a chance to keep this number really tight or win the game straight up was the interception. I didn't like what I saw to Patrick Mahomes in the third quarter. Do you think that the Rams deserve to win that game against the 49ers? I do. I think the Rams are the better team. I I just, I, I think that San Francisco is an average team. And again, we'll say it again, you know, quarterback play is always average with San Francisco I was happy to see Los Angeles win that game because I do think that it's a more intriguing matchup uh, with Cincinnati. I, I think that the, def- the defensive line of Los Angeles is a lot more attractive than San Francisco's. Um, 
I don't think anybody deserved to win necessarily or lose that game. Uh, it's just who made bigger plays at bigger times. It just comes down to San Francisco dropping an interception and that they didn't make the right plays at the right time. And, and here we are today with the Rams hosting the Super Bowl. Yeah, for the second year in a row after we went 54 years without having anyone be able to host the Super Bowl, which in fairness, for a lot of years, it was a lot of Miami and San Diego and, you know, not great teams hosting. And now you had, you know, I mean, Tampa turned it around quickly. The Rams turned it around kind of quickly. Um, so I guess two years in a row, we get home team in the Super Bowl, even though the Rams, I think, are, are officially designated as the road team. I think they designated the Rams as the road team for the Super Bowl, which is kind of weird, but they'll be at home. Um, and I guess let me give you an interesting stat. The team that's wearing white, you may have seen this uh, trend on social media today, tweeted out or perhaps on Instagram by Barstool Sports. The team wearing white in the last 17 Super Bowls has won 14 of 17. Um, the team wearing white on Sunday is the Los Angeles Rams. So if you believe in crazy trends like that, man, how can you not like the Rams based on the white jerseys? But no, God, I just figured wasn't I, there. I think, I've heard this before because I feel like there was one year where like the team was supposed to be at home and then they like actively chose to wear white and then they lost. I can't remember who it was, but I want to say it was the Patriots the year the Eagles won the championship, but I could be wrong. There was one really weird one where like they were supposed to wear the the color jerseys, but they actively chose to wear white. This was a whole trend that was going on. Anyways, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I've heard something like that before where the, the white color jerseys happen to win in the Super Bowls that a lot of the times are just coin tosses of who the better team is. <laughs> all of my children's college fun on the Rams just because of that. So just guess bet, bet it all the, all the way for Matthew Stafford, who I think Troy Aikman put his business out there during the NFC championship that he has like a separated shoulder going on right now or an injured shoulder. Cause it wasn't reported anywhere, but he's like, you know, I don't know if he's under throwing that pass because of his shoulder injury. And they were like, where did he have a shoulder injury? Apparently, Troy Aikman leaked that out. So maybe Stafford's playing hurt going into this game. You'd still be willing to ride all on your your children's college funds all the way on Stafford and Cooper Cup to win the champion. Well, and Aaron Donald destroying the terrible Bengals offensive line. But you'd be willing to go that far because of white jerseys. All about white jerseys. And, and, and all joking aside, you know, I think Matt Stafford does look hurt. I mean, you saw him holding his arm in that, in that NFC Championship games, game at times. I don't know if it transpired. I think it may have happened in the Tampa game. You know, he took some hits there, right, um, in, in, against Tampa. And I think, uh, I think these guys are going to play through it no matter what. I don't think it's going to be a factor whatsoever. But he definitely, you know, he looked a little banged up. And you can almost make the same argument for Patrick Mahomes Last year in the Super Bowl, you know, was he a full go against Tampa Bay? And look what I mean, happened there. Yeah. The thing I mean, I've, it, I've said consistently is Mahomes uh, had surgery the week after the Super Bowl to repair his turf toe injury. And I'm like, well, very clearly this was bothering him for a while if he was playing in these games. And then a week after the season ends, immediately has surgery, which you know, I don't I, for a game that was such a large blowout. I'm not sure that changes the margins that much, but 
it is, you know, it is something that we think about when the game is closer, or at least we anticipate the Bengals and Rams game is going to be closer, right? No, I agree. I agree. I, I the, you know, a lot of people are disappointed, it seems like, with the Super Bowl, but I'm not. I think this is a really fun game. I, I, I'm really happy to see a team like Cincinnati come on board and get their chance. And I think the Rams are, you know, looking back at it, let's go back to week one when the Green Bay Packers were blown out by, was it, I think it was New Orleans when that game was played. It was Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston had like a perfect passer rating. Yeah. So I I think, I, I think we look at this and we tend to forget that the Rams were probably a heavy favorite to get to the Super Bowl not heavy favorite, but a solid favorite to get to the Super Bowl back, you know, in mid-September, late September. And then the wheels came off a little bit for Los Angeles at times, but there's a really good team. You know, there, there aren't too many better teams in the NFC. I think Green Bay is the best team in the NFC. Doesn't matter. They lost. And I think that Tampa may be a better team, especially if they had got Chris Wynn and Antonio Brown. But Hey, I'm going to say something. If my aunt had testicles, she'd be my uncle. And none of those teams had what, what it took to get there. So um, we are with the Rams and the Bengals. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. Kyle. Yeah. And I think that the Rams, we did. I mean, I did the same thing, too, where we all did the Brady thing, where we operated under the assumption, hey, we know this team's really good on defense, at least at stopping the run. Their offense has been overwhelming the past two years, you know, top 10 both seasons. And we, we operated under the assumption that because Tampa Bay has all these pieces, they were the better team than the Rams. The Rams should have won that game by like 30 points against Tampa. Like we remember how that went down where they had like six ridiculously dumb plays. So the Rams wouldn't be as like outlandish as the Bengals. The Bengals should have lost if they had just gotten the chance to play both the um, the Chiefs and the Bills instead of the Bills and Chiefs playing each other in the second round of the playoffs. If they had to play both, I don't think they would have gotten the same luck twice that they got against the Chiefs. Um, the thing I've said about it, because I'm I'm totally cool with the Super Bowl this year, is no matter who wins, it's going to be remembered as a weaker champion in like the grand lore of the NFL. When we think back to the last 20 years, like no matter what, it's going to be remembered as one of the weaker Super Bowl champions. But that's only because it was a weird year where the four best teams all lost before getting to the Super Bowl. And then maybe the Rams are the fourth best team or the fifth best team. It's more semantics in that way. But Rare is there a Super Bowl where you don't get either of the top three or four teams in the regular season playing in the Super Bowl? Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, it, 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 listen, this is what we have to work with. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. I think I, I think the, 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 the fascinating matchups are going to be the O-line of Cincinnati. Uh, can they can they hang? They did it. They, they hung in Missouri. They didn't hang in Tennessee. Right. I mean, they, they, they did a pretty good job protecting Burrow. Uh, San Francisco did a pretty good job protecting uh, Garoppolo against the Rams at times. Um, I, I, I think this is a really intriguing matchup to bet. And, you know, I'll go ahead and give you my, my plays, but here's something that you may find fascinating, Kyle, about me, is I don't really like to bet the Super Bowl heavy. Um, I, I, I really always find this game more or less the hangout with friends. You've worked hard all season. Um, you know, Let's let's just watch the game. Let's bet a couple props. Let's put a hundred dollars on tails. Let's put a hundred dollars <laughs> on some on, on something bizarre. 
And then, you know, I'm just going to do what I've done over the last few weeks. You asked me if it works. I, I you know, I, I and let's just go ahead and, and, and play the Rams money line and the Bengals plus four and a half. And let's get a, let's hope for a three point, four point game. I really don't have much confidence in the Rams money line here. I just want to go both ways. I want, I want both way action. I want to come out at one and one. And don't we all want to see, you know, either Matt Gay or McPherson lining up for a game winning field goal, which I think this game, you know, kind of leans that way. Yeah. And, and if the playoffs are any suggestion, that's where we've gone the whole time here. The part that gives me pause for concern is that we know the Bengals really struggle on the offensive line. And I know Burrow only got sacked like one and a half times in the in the game against Kansas city, but Kansas city had him wrapped up twice and he escaped and made crazy plays afterwards that were just incredibly frustrating if you're a chiefs fan. So the, the offensive line held up better than they did against the Titans, which was awful. We just know how great the Rams pass rush is. And that's like, maybe it's too simplistic there, but that's something that gives me pause for concern, I guess in like, well, that's one thing I can point to where the, the greatest strength of the Rams is the greatest weakness of the Bengals. And maybe it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. I know the Bengals defense has been remarkable this year. And if they force turnovers, maybe that's a equalizer on that. I've just really struggled to get over the Aaron Donald and Von Miller and Leonard Floyd are going to be coming off the edge on an offensive line that on the right side is one of the weakest in the NFL. So that's kind of like my pause for concern, I guess, going there. It's, it's so, I mean, again, it's one thing and I try to be more neutral on that analysis because football is random. That's one that I just really struggled to get over the edge on of like giving the Bengals a fair shake. Yeah, and I think what you make some great points there, and that's why I like these two overs. Uh, Kyle, I'm going to go ahead and say that Burrow's going to have to scramble a little bit. Now, Burrow's getting a very low total of an 11 and a half rushing yards because he really doesn't run too much. He made an incredible play on third down and seven against Kansas City. Should have been sacked, should have been punting the ball away, but the drive continued. I think it continue on for a field goal perhaps in that, in that game that, you know, gave Cincinnati their first lead, but I, I like Burrow to really be, you know, running a lot for his life and finding a way to get over the 11 and a half rushing yards that right now is selling at minus minus one ten. I think that's a really good value. Probably going to pull the trigger on that play, you know, perhaps on Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, the other play I like is going to be quick passes to, to Joe Mixon and Joe Mixon is right now sitting at 28 and a half passing yards. I think the pass rush is going to come, and that means you have to get rid of the ball quickly. Let's get it. Let's get rid of it to a guy that's running what a two, three yard route. And if he can get, you know, just five catches for 32 yards, that's not much to ask for Joe Mixon. And perhaps one of those, you know, maybe one of those goes for 20 yards and you're in great shape. So those are my two props on the Cincy side that I feel most comfortable with. And I also really like over one and a half McPherson field goals. You'll probably be juiced maybe at minus 160 wherever you shop. But McPherson and the Bengals seem to be, you know, stalling in the red. I should say McPherson. It's not his fault. Burrow and the Bengals have been stalling in the red zone quite a bit outside of the second half of the Chiefs game where they did score, you know, a couple times, you know, to get themselves ahead of the Chiefs in that game. I, I kind of like them to be in a position to, to, you know, stall 
at the 25, 30 yard line a few times. So over McPherson, one and a half field goals, you're going to get juiced a little bit heavy there. I like over uh, Mixon, 28 and a half passing yards. And I like Burrow to run for over 12 yards. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I'm fascinated by the Mixon part more than anything else, because the Bengals do get the ball down the field a lot. They've kicked so many field goals during this playoff run. It's kind of been incredible there, but the, the Mixon thing is interesting because his name hasn't been called because, you know, if the if the receivers aren't putting up big numbers in these playoff games, certainly Joe Mixon hasn't been putting up big numbers for the Bengals. He's averaging like 3.6 yards a carry in the playoffs, which is, you know, it's slightly average for an NFL running back. I know Frank Gore always the joke was that he would average like 3.4 yards a carry all the way to the Hall of Fame. But you know, making it slightly average for Joe Mixon to play, to be at like an average running back. I don't know if that's enough for the Bengals. I don't know what the, the you know, the pace of the game is going to end up being, whether they want to try and run the ball against maybe the best rushing defense in the NFL non-Bucks category. Like, I, I don't know what to do with Mixon, but you, you actually like the idea of Mixon going over on going into this game, which is fascinating because I haven't heard good analysis on Joe Mixon. I can't say that I like his rushing yards, and I haven't even looked at it. Perhaps it's around 75 and a half or so. And don't quote me on that because that is something I haven't dove into. But I just think that we're going to see some quick passes to a security blanket, right? And that, that security blanket may have to be Joe Mixon coming out of the backfield. And that's, uh, yeah, I feel confident about that play. And I, and I, feel, I, I feel even more confident with the uh, McPherson over one and a half field goals. Uh, probably the best play on the board. Well, it was interesting too, because in the AFC championship, all of a sudden it was Samaj P. Ryan that was catching the passes out of the backfield. I was like, where did he come from? I forgot that he was even the backup running back for the Bengals. And all of a sudden he had like a 41 yard touchdown against the chiefs and he was catching third down screen passes from burrow. I was like, Oh, I guess, I guess they're incorporating P Ryan into the offense now in the last week of the season. I think Piron is is nice. He's nice, but he's not sexy. And I think I think Mixon's the guy. And I think that the Rams are, you know, look what Lenny Fournette did, and 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 I think uh, you know the the Niners had some success as well. I think that Joe Mixon has to show up here, right? We cannot win this game if you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan or or better without Joe Mixon really, you know, coming to life somewhat. Obviously, we need Chase and or Higgins to do some things you know, special, but I don't think you can win just throwing the ball around the yard with this pass rush. And of course, who knows where Ramsey will travel in this game. Um, I, I just think the Rams defense is too good to ignore uh, mixing uh, with your offensive scheme, whether it's running the ball or just short passes. What would you do in that situation? Would you have Ramsey shadow Jamar Chase for most of the game? Would you have him alternating back and forth as if he takes away like one side of the field? What would be your idea if they want to, you know, maybe push Burrow left by rushing the right side, the weak off part of the offensive line. How would you go about it if you're watching this game or coaching this game or something like that? I, you know, for, well, let's just put this disclaimer out. I'm no coach, um, but I can, tell you, <laughs> I can tell you this. What I notice with Ramsey is I think he's better off uh, and more comfortable with one side of the field because I think when he starts traveling and, and is left one on one 
with these superstar wide receivers, I think that's when he gets into sometimes a little bit of trouble. Uh, best example would be the Mike Evans touchdown that put Tampa Bay in a position to somewhat stay alive in that game, and they did because uh, it was uh, Cam Akers who fumbled the ball two plays later after the Mike Evans touchdown. So I feel like Ramsey is just should be playing one side of the field, whoever whoever he gets. If it's Higgins, I don't think you're going to avoid Ramsey matchup. I think it's going to be a lot of Higgins and a lot of Chase. But Kyle, I, I don't feel too comfortable answering that question. I, I really don't know where the best place for Ramsey to be is. But if I had to, if I had to throw out some logic, it would just say, hey, you know, this is the this is the defensive uh, scheme we're going with for this play, that play, whatever it may be. You're gonna, you know, you're you're over here on this side of the field, but we're gonna find out. It really matters, though. I do think Ramsey is a huge factor in this game. You know, if Ramsey, if we knew ahead of time that Ramsey travels with Chase for nearly every play, that's scary to take Chase over seventy nine and a half yards. And if you knew that he would leave T. Higgins alone, that, that's when I would just really load up on over Higgins, which is, I think, a little bit lower by 10 or 11 yards. But, you know, that's what makes it interesting, you know, and I think uh, I think that um, I, I'm going to stay away from the Higgins and I'm going to stay away from the chase over under prop plays and i'm gonna small small lean on boyd going over because you know the Rams secondary isn't that special i think you have a couple guys in there that are going to be possible shut down you know safeties and corners at times so that should leave boyd an opportunity to get over his total which right now sits at 39 and a half so small play on boyd over 39 and a half for me the the most important question here when it comes to the super bowl and this is a this is something we've tracked every year for the past couple of years now is 22 years. They have been keeping track of this bet during the Super Bowl. Is this finally the year that red Gatorade finally gets to be dunked on the winning head coach? It's 22 years. It's never happened. Is this finally the year that red gets the Gatorade path? <laughs> well, I can imagine if the Bengals win, don't you think there's orange Gatorade in those coolers? Let's just throw that out. So, you know, I think if Cincinnati's winning this game and you have red, you're probably in a little bit of trouble. Um, as far as the Rams go, uh, blue, blue Gatorade, white Gatorade. Listen, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, you, last year, Tampa won and it ended up being blue. And it was a yeah. massive underdog. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to stay away from the Gatorade prop. Do you have a money line on what red pays out? Do you have anything for that? On, I believe on red is plus 70. I just recorded this yesterday. So orange is the favorite at plus 200. Okay. Then I believe, uh, no color, which is water. I assume no color is plus 300 blue plus 400 clear is plus 600 yellow green and lime which i think are all like kind of interchangeable at this point is plus 600 and then i think red is plus 750 maybe maybe plus 750 well i don't think red gatorade tastes that good so let's just start with that i mean what what gatorade do you like to consume when you're exercising you have a favorite color you know i was never a big gatorade person but uh, I'd go with orange if I was uh, if I were yeah. really like desperate for one. I'd go with the orange Gatorade. Me too. The value sits at green, Kyle. I want everybody here to bet thirteen units on green. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, <laughs> I, I, 
I think that's a good example of a fun bet, right? So you put down $20 on green and you know, what's your payout? What did you say? It was plus 500 for green. Green was plus 600 along with yellow and lime color. That's fun. You bet $20, you win 120 coming back your way. And you just put yourself in a great position for a wonderful date night with your significant other. If uh, green comes through and I, you know, th- those are fun bets. That's why the Super Bowl exists. And uh, anyone putting down more than $25 on Gatorade, uh, I, I, you know, I wish you the best of luck. I think you're crazy, but uh, it makes it, it makes it, you know, it makes it fun. And that's, that's the whole point of this. Yeah. I, I think it's crazy when people do it for like, how long is the national anthem going to be? Um, what is the coin toss going to be? Cause that's literally just heads or tails. It's a 50, 50 shot at which one that's going to be Gatorade. I understand betting the mortgage on what color the Gatorade is going to be. That one, that one is the one that I understand it, it, you know, orange has gotten it like four of the last 10 years, but now the value so high on orange that you don't want to bet it. You know, it's, there, there's a whole science behind the Gatorade bath and it's, it's fun that it comes up only this time once a year of betting. What color is the Gatorade going to be at the end of the Super Bowl? So let me throw you something that's interesting about heads or tails. Um, the sports book, they typically have an advantage over betters, right? You know, there's always a, a competitive edge. So if you are someone who likes to bet the Super Bowl, just the Super Bowl, or you bet every single day, um, you know, I think... Uh, I think that's the best advantage you have 50, 50, right? I mean, they're like you, you have legitimate 50, 50 odds on heads or tails. So if you were to ask me, Hey, razor, I have a thousand dollars here. Should I put it on the Rams minus four or the Bengals plus four, or should I bet heads or tails? I honestly think, you know, you're, you're, you're just the values there with heads or tails and call me crazy, but you know, what what are we doing here with the Rams and the Bengals? Like, yeah, it's probably 50, 50 as well, but this is a, this is a a situation where we're not overanalyzing. We're not looking at analytics. We're not, you know, taking ourselves away from the fact that, you know, maybe there's an injury to Matt Stafford. Can the Cincinnati offensive line hold up? You know, this is it. It's heads or tails, 50, 50, you know, there's no competitive edge for Vegas. So why not? I hate Kyle. I always play this, this bet because of the reasons I just explained. And I, and I actually bet it pretty heavy. You know, I, I would say that my heads or tails bet is usually about a two units play. I don't have a lean. I just, I just will click heads or tails, maybe 10 minutes before kickoff, whatever I just feel like doing. And, you know, I think I'm probably 500 50, 50 over the last eight, nine years. It seems like I'm competitive advantage loss for Vegas. It's 50, 50, just throwing that out there. Yeah. Over a large sample size, it's always going to be 50, 50 because it's heads and tails. No one is more likely than the other. Um, This is also classic game theory, which is that, you know, you could either delay the end result as long as possible to try and improve your odds or you just get to the end result as quickly as possible. It's like, I know how this is going to end. I'm not going to get better odds than this. Let's just skip right to the end. And with Bengals Rams, there's so many, I mean, in a football game, that's already ridiculously random by the fact that the Bengals are even in the Super Bowl. Like all of this is so complex and there's so many different things changing the odds that 
Um, it is random, but it's so is a coin toss. And you with a coin toss, you know exactly it's going to be 50-50, which might be the best chance you get to actually be correct because there are so many other factors at play. And also, when you're gambling, point spreads and over-unders and things like that are meant to make it harder for you to win because the house always ends up winning, which means you're always playing below 50% when you're gambling. So you're not going to find a better chance than the coin toss. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. And, and, you know, honestly, you know, don't bet your whole bankroll on it because you're going to want to watch other things unfold uh, during the Super Bowl. But you have to look at it from the perspective of if I take the Rams minus four and Cooper up, you know, sprains a knee, eight minutes into the game, Matt Stafford separates his shoulder early third quarter, your competitive edge is is in trouble. Uh, Joe Burrow gets sacked early second quarter, uh, breaks his thumb. I mean, there's just, listen, you know, it's not crazy. It's not too degenerate to say, I want a 50-50 bet. I'm taking tails. Okay, I, I'm with you, sir. I'm with you, ma'am. Go for it. I, I'm not against that. I'm more against the Gatorade nonsense and the <laughs> longest field goal prop. That it's just that's really difficult stuff. It heads or tails. My six-year-old daughter Kyle can make the decision better than any sharp gambler on the planet. It's fifty-fifty. So I, I really recommend betting that uh, to give yourself a legitimate edge. Finally, uh, since we are recording this on Monday afternoon, breaking news that Lovey Smith is the head coach of the Houston Texans, probably for one year before they hire they hire the coach they actually wanted to hire because Lovey Smith was not interviewed until like yesterday to be the head coach, and they just kind of copped out at the end. So, thoughts on Lovey Smith getting the head coaching job for the Texans? Unbelievable that they fired Cully and that they just hired Lovey Smith, who's going to get fired after a year. Unbelievable, they're doing this again. I mean recycle recycle is something that we see in football all the time lovey smith is uh you know i don't know what to say about lovey smith just horrific at illinois horrific in chicago towards the end um you know it seems like a good guy probably won the locker room over in in houston that's why i'm sure a lot of players lobbied for lovey smith safe safe play the guy has so much nfl experience as a coordinator and a head coach but can you get excited for lovey smith in houston no of course I, of course yeah i mean it's terrible yeah i mean that's i guess that's my 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 thoughts on this <laughs> i i can't believe I, so every year on i believe it's january 12th we we celebrate the fact that the, it is the anniversary of the houston texans being up 24-0 on the Kansas City Chiefs about to go to the Super Bowl uh, because they were going to play the Titans at home in the conference championship game and then play the 49ers in the Super Bowl. So there was a non-zero chance the Texans win a Super Bowl and then all of this happens to them. Uh, it's it's incredible. This is now their fourth coach in two years. This is... A, this is now potentially going to have five coaches in three years. They've gone eight and 25 in the time since that 24 zero lead. And they only have Davis Mills and Rex Burkhead to show for it. And now they fired David Culley, didn't get anyone they wanted because their job is still terrible and hired another David Culley. 
It just Lovey Smith has more head coaching experience in the past, but Lovey Smith wasn't going to get a head coaching job anytime soon in the NFL. Like Lovey Smith was not going to get another head coaching job. And uh, he he turned being awful at Illinois and having three playoff appearances in 10 years into one more year and one gigantic payday from the Houston Texans. It's 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 bad, and the whole organization has really fallen apart. You know, I think I think that Watson and his situation is so toxic, and it's a shame because listen, Houston was a really good football team. Uh, they had a good stretch making the playoffs. You know, unfortunately beating the Buffalo Bills in that heartbreaker three years ago. Uh, you know, they had DeAndre Hopkins. They had some great running backs too. I mean, it's just the team is in disarray, and Lovey Smith coming to save it is uh, probably not the answer. I think you and I are going to laugh about this in October uh, in 2022 when I'm on your show, and the Houston Texans are one and five, and that's just what's going to happen. And it's unfortunate, but congratulations to Lovey and his family. Seems like a great guy, and I really hope the opportunity works. Houston Texans are single-handedly funding these people's retirements. Like Lovey Smith is 63 years old. He is going to have a wonderful retirement. David Culley got more money last year than Bill Belichick to coach the Houston Texans. His buyout got him $22 million. Bill Belichick made $20 million last year. And like they're going to fund Lovey Smith's lavish retirement with one year of coaching the four win Houston Texans again. It's at least they have a first round pick this year, but it is just they did it. Why did you fire? I guess they wanted to go through the hiring process and try and get Josh McCown and try and get, um, you know, try and hire Josh McCown, try and hire Brian Flores, I guess, try and interview the Eagles defensive coordinator, interview Gerard Mayo. Like they, they tried, they couldn't get any of the people they wanted. There's no reason they should have fired Cully. They should have just accepted. They were going to be terrible because they just hired another Cully. It's incredible. Um, you're right. I, I would laugh about it more. It's just very sad. So um, yeah, Lovey Smith, coach of the Texans, instant reaction here on the podcast. Um, Razor, thank you again. I appreciate it. Um, enjoy the Super Bowl. Like you said, this is your celebration for the end of the year. Not serious gambling, not trying to figure out who's going to win and who does what. Uh, this is your celebration for a very successful season. Yeah, I appreciate it, Kyle. We've had a great run with you on your show for football. Still a lot more to come with college hoops. And yeah, just bet responsible. Have fun. You know, throw a unit on several prop bets. Don't just put everything on the Rams or the Bengals. As far as I, you know, my opinion goes, uh, I'm just going to have fun again, follow us at beerlife.com. The Oracle plays continue to hit, you know, Oracle right now remains at plus 60 units for the year. That's where you want to be. If you started off, started with us labor day, and that's where we are today going into the Super Bowl. So, uh, by the way, Oracle, I'll give this out. He is leaning towards Cincinnati. Cincinnati is going to be his play. So there's a there's a free play for your subscriber. If you like uh, the Oracle and you followed what he's done and you followed us on Beer Life, the lean for him is Cincinnati plus four and a half. Kyle, enjoy the big day. Look forward to chatting college hoops down the road with you.